Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the next episode of Streamtime Sports. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the community lead, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. And today we're also joined by a special guest, Steve McCaskill, our technology editor. So we are going to be recording this. It's currently Friday, but it is already being dubbed as Sports Saturday. So some of what's going to take place by the time the next podcast will have already occurred, but maybe we can get some ideas on what plans you guys have or more. We can do some predictions so that when this comes out the following Wednesday, we can see who's right, who is wrong. So just to give you an idea, this is just the UK only. We've got the Merseyside Derby between Liverpool and Everton, which is a very big deal. I believe that's kicking off in the early window, which is on TNT Sports. If I've got those all right with my fragmentation discoverability at 1230, it's going to be followed up at 530 with a, a big Premier League matchup between Chelsea and Arsenal. Maybe not too big given Chelsea's slow start, but Arsenal certainly feeling good after their big win against Man City. And then there's two England v. South Africa matchups, one in the Cricket World Cup and then one in the semifinals of the Rugby World Cup. And then I'll just throw it out there for the Americans in there. You've got Ohio State versus Penn State, two top 10 teams. It should be a great football game. But Steve, Nick, first maybe socially, given you guys have more dependence than I currently have, I don't know if your sport Saturday will be as alcohol-driven as mine. So you can either say, do you have any plans for Saturday to enjoy all the sports? And then perhaps if there's anything you want to, you know, maybe you're, you're looking out for a prediction you want to make. I'll, we'll start with you, Nick. Damn it! I was really hoping you'd start with Steve there. <laughs> um, look, I would say uh, I I'm, I will probably dip in and out of a bunch of the the stuff going on that day without sitting down and just ignoring everyone in my house uh, for a twelve hour stint. As much as that would be a bliss to be able to watch live sports for twelve hours straight, I don't think I would get any uh, brownie points uh, by doing so, especially when my in-laws are coming to town. So uh, I will be preoccupied by with a bit of socialising and. Dipping in and out when I can, but I think for the, for the kickoff match, you'd have to go with Liverpool really uh, on that front. And I, I, lo- I got lost after that. Well, what else happens after that? There was too much going on. But I'll pick Liverpool and stick with the rest as uh, great entertainment. All right, Steve, how about this? Does the Northern Hemisphere have a chance of getting someone into the Rugby World Cup final? Well, uh, <laughs> head or heart prediction. Um, well. <laughs> yes, last weekend I, I, I managed to watch all four rug, Rugby World Cup quarterfinals and uh, that was fantastic. Four great games of rugby. Um, tomorrow uh, I will be at home with a, uh, a sleeping baby uh, during England, South Africa. And um, just because my mind's always on streaming and broadcasting, I do know that my downstairs South African neighbours stream matches rather than watch on linear. So I will be trying to ruin everything for them about a minute in advance. Um <laughs> So, uh, but I'm not that, I'm not that mean. And also my, uh, my, my, my five month old son will get his own back anyway, many, many times throughout the night. So I'm not that petty. Uh, I, I, I think if England have some individual performances, we can, we can do it, but all, all, uh, all signs point to a South Africa victory in that. I think we'll win the cricket though. I think, uh, England are better South Africa. And as for the football, oh, I just hope, I hope Liverpool don't win. Fair. Well, it's a Bengals bye week, so I'm going all in on Sports Saturday because I've got nothing to do on Sunday. <laughs> Chris, you, you, I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to ask if you can actually watch the the NCAA the the college match. Uh, are you are you into? Do you watch a lot of the college football, or do you keep it to the NFL normally these days? I watch as much college football as I can. I will admit, being in the UK, I'm still amazed that no one has really made any sort of financial effort to try to make that um, a thing. So I, I'll just 
plead the fifth, but uh, I watch as much college football as I can. <laughs> I, I wrote about this in my newsletter a couple of weeks ago, how uh, there's currently no UK broadcaster for college football. The only games we get are uh, Notre Dame, um, thanks to Sky's uh, deal with, with, with them and via Comcast. So it's a bit of a black hole in the minute, but... Um, coincidentally, both I think Chris and I both follow the same college football team. Uh, go Buckeyes! <laughs> yeah, well, uh, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say um, th- the the notion that there's no NCAA football in the UK in particular is pretty surprising, and I do wonder why we haven't seen any broadcasters sort of rekindle the the opportunity of being like a US the home of US sports. I, I know that's sort of been tried in previous iterations in the last decade or so with ESPN stepping into the market. Uh, maybe even, I don't know if Satanta did play that role a little bit when they dipped their toe into the Premier League rights as well. But it feels like now's the time with the globalization of sports um, you know, content that now would be a great time to just double down on particularly those rights aren't being used surely you can get those rights at a low low cost point um and if it's on a non-exclusive uh deal and screams out like something like a disown or a tnt sports which should should lean into given their pedigree and given their global uh, reach so um maybe now's the time to rekindle that u.s sports uh destination that i think uh you know, there's not a huge fan base in the UK, but there's enough, I think, to get some significant um, support if they lent into it and didn't just have a bit here and a bit there, which is what we've got currently. Yeah, I think we may have we may have peaked with that already because we had the uh, the North American Sports Network, which became ESPN America, which then got swallowed up by ESPN's ill-fated venture into the UK, and we've not really had the same since. We haven't had our own version of Sports Center for a while. But yeah, no, I, I I think there's a there's a market there. Um, TNT's deal with ESPN has now expired, uh, so that included college football and also things like again, Chris. I know you're a big fan of Around the Horn, and pardon the interruption, um, but I think there's definitely scope for that, particularly with I can't imagine the rights are too expensive for a lot a lot of things. You can roll it in as a as a promo tool for their D 2 C services. I think it's definitely something there. I think it all depends on the cost. Yeah, I just think if you think about the way that someone like DAZN has been trying to position themselves as the home of women's football, that sort of play for someone in markets where the those US sports fans are underserved, I think it makes a truckload of sense. But anyway, we're going a little bit off topic as we we tend to do. Yeah, but you know, I'm always happy to talk uh, more football, and you know, I'll, I'll throw my two cents in addition. You guys are just it also makes sense, like from UK perspective, because Saturday. The last football game in the Premier League kicks off at 5.30, so it's usually done by 8. There's nothing in that window. And if you think about time zone differences, you can fill out that whole slot with you know the best college football games that run through the rest of the night because there really is kind of a black hole for sports, at least of the sports I watch, um, once you get past that 7.30 window on a Saturday. So that's it. That's my two cents. But uh, you are right, Nick. We do have something we want to deep dive into, so we will maybe park the college football uh, in the UK conversation for another day. But today, what we do want to deep dive into, it's not necessarily breaking news, but it's not something that we've covered in a lot of depth, which is the merger between two major sports properties, although our editorial director, Mike Long, would argue that the WWE cannot be considered a sports property, although I know our guest Steve McCaskill would strongly argue that. But there was a very large merger between the WWE and the UFC. And so today we're going to go through, we're going to break down what's actually the meat and potatoes of that merger and what we can expect. So I think just to start off to talk about the merger, 
between the UFC and the WWE. It also means we need to talk a little bit about Endeavor as well, given their relationship with the UFC. So maybe perhaps the best way to start this off is from an Endeavor perspective, Nick, if you could just sort of maybe break down the scale of that business, because it does touch a lot of different areas across the sports industry. For sure, Chris. I think I'll give it my my sort of top helicopter view on this. And Steve, if there's anything I'm missing, uh, do shout out. But you know, I think I just look at Endeavor these days as the the pre, a new iteration of the IMG business. Um, you know, there it wasn't as simple as that. The Endeavor business previously, if I, was it originally called Endeavor at the time when they merged with IMG? W WME wouldn't it be. Oh, it was WME IMG. That's right. So it was WME and then IMG and they merged and became, became Endeavor. WME was much more of an entertainment agency, whereas IMG was obviously very much the, the leading agency in sports. Now, over over the course of time, obviously the term agency uh, has indeed evolved a, a lot as well. And since IMG and WME um, merged to become Endeavor, they've continued to, I guess, diversify the business into different ways. Uh, one of the major areas uh, that they have continued to be strong in is in the agency space. It's the media rights space. But what some of the, the some more exciting moves, I guess uh, you call it, uh, have been their real investments into certain sports properties. So I do think they also invest into bull riding. Um, I can't remember which competition it is, but they are is it PBR, professional bull riders, I think it might be the one. Um, but the big one at the time was their investment into UFC, which is largely, I think, by all accounts, hailed uh, a massive success since they acquired uh, the business. Uh, and now more recently, it's the WWE business. So this whole notion that you see it across the whole, I guess, agency sphere now. That a, a, a real expertise, a business laden with expertise around commercialization, partners up or acquires uh, equity or rights or what have you. In this case, it is a, an acquisition uh, of a sports property, and they can continue to grow and expand that business. And that's ultimately why Endeavor have brought the business. They bought it because they think they can continue to add value um, to the WWE and, and in this new parent body um, and continue to get more value um, out of those rights and build an even bigger, more powerful behemoth. So unless you've got anything additional to add there, Steve, you know, now that we sort of laid the the foundation of sort of who Endeavor are within this relationship, maybe it's just worth us taking some time to look at the current state of, you know, the WWE and the UFC, sort of where they're at before we start talking about how those two are eventually going to look as a, as a single singular property. So you're the WWE expert, so maybe you could just give us a quick breakdown on sort of where the WWE currently stands with its, uh, you know, broadcast strategy, its OTT strategy, and just sort of how the current state of play is. WWE is unquestionably number one in, in professional wrestling back in the 80s and, and a little bit into the, well, before the 90s. It was all regional. Then it there became two big companies, WWE, WCW. WWE eventually bought WCW because uh, Turner decided it did more professional wrestling before deciding it did a few decades later with AEW. And it's become more of a business. It's no longer you know, when these, you know, a, a cottage industry, it's, it's big business and it's built out its media capabilities. And so it, it's, it's increased its rights, its linear rights with, with the major US networks, it's built the WE network, and that's been absorbed into Peacock in the US, big wholesale deal. And then it has big deals with, uh, so NBC Universal, so it has two flagship shows a week, one's three hours, that's Raw, one's two hours, that's Smackdown, Raw is on 
the USA network, NBC Universal. And then the Friday night SmackDown is on Fox, uh, which is a deal that started quite recently. I think it was 20, 2019. So that's its big um, big US uh, obligations. Obviously, it has international deals with TNT Sports in the UK. The WWE network acts as a direct consumer service elsewhere. So it has that combination of guaranteed money from the networks, that direct consumer f- uh, fan relationship. And then, it, it, which it also uses to extract better deals from the networks. So it's been really successful in achieving uh, what it, you know its revenue targets from you know the analog world of broadcasting and the digital world, and and sort of putting those two together to create something really quite lucrative. And perhaps just at the time, it was very sort of I guess you could say influential, but maybe just a little bit more on the sort of going because it was interesting four years ago when I joined Sports Pro, the WWE won platform of the year. And then within a few months, it got, you know, a part, it became a part of the Peacock platform. So it was really interesting sort of how they went from such a successful standalone product to all of a sudden they sort of incorporated in with NBC and what they were doing there. So maybe just a little bit kind of there, because my understanding as well is they've done similar deals like that, you know, in the Asian markets in India, um, where they've kind of taken that platform and moved it, merged it with a broadcaster. Sure. So WWE, I've actually neglected to mention a very big part of WWE's business for for quite a long time. And that was pay per view, and you know, in, in the US, that would be about fifty dollars for an event. Uh, the, the cable company would take a cut of that. WWE would take something, and I think the rest would be distributed to the talent. Now, in twenty fourteen, it finally launched a direct consumer platform, the WWE Network. Um, it had wanted to do this as early as the 2000s with a cable network when it saw how NFL and MLB were creating theirs and get some of that carriage revenue. But obviously, they didn't get off the ground. And 10 years later, it was like, okay, we're going to do D2C. We're going to take all of our premium events and make them available for, I think it's $10, $10 a month subscription. That was seen as a big risk at the time. That was seen as quite, you know, why why would you do this? You know, when, you, when it's $50 for a pay-per-view and you're doing $10, $10 a month, Truth is, it's you know they were um, relying on the fact that people would subscribe for the whole year rather than maybe buy like one or two pay per views a year, and their margins would be much bigger, and that that meant that they could absorb those additional marketing costs, customer acquisition, customer services, and the technology costs. Now, when uh, Comcast decided it wanted its own direct consumer platform, Peacock, it saw the success of WWE Network, which was you know it did it did very well, and it thought hmm, here is a really loyal, engaged fan base. Um, and a platform with lots of content. It has live content. It has we- uh, weekly episodic TV shows. It has a huge range of um, original and archive content. Why don't we bring that onto Peacock? People subscribe to Peacock, get WWE, get everything else we have to have to offer. So it's almost like a, a, a full circle in that return to a wholesale relationship rather than going direct to consumer. And you're right, it's done that, it's done that in other markets as well, where it's given WWE Network wholesale in exchange for a flat fee and um, in other markets kept it, you know, like in Europe, it's still a DTC proposition. So it's managed to play all of these competing trends against each other and still come out on top. And just to add, Chris, obviously we did that deep dive on the design NFL relationship and and Steve sort of covered a little bit already loosely the distinction between well, the different types of dynamics that sit between, say, the WWE Peacock relationship and that, and just for clarity for those that are, that are listening, I guess the difference is, from what I understood, is that this NFL zone relationship where they migrated audiences are, they actually migrated data and audiences directed into the platform. But I don't, my understanding is that Peacock didn't do that. They basically 
ingested and set up the WWE network equivalent in their own platform and made it a hub for people to subscribe to and push peak push subscribers into the Peacock product, which is the more traditional approach of you, know, you acquire rights, you put it into a platform, put it onto a broadcast, and then hope people subscribe. So just that that subtle delineation, but I guess that's where this this the zone and NFL approach is quite groundbreaking in the whole notion of actually acquiring you're actually buying an audience set effectively and moving them not buying rights with the hope that the audience follows yeah that that, that makes sense and i think it is worthwhile mentioning that given some of the, the focus we've put on there so if, we, if we've talked about the wwe there you know nick i'll focus it a little bit over to you um you know you've had the chance to speak to a couple of different people crawley sullivan you know amongst others you know from the ufc space you know maybe give a little bit of a breakdown sort of where the ufc currently is you know it's similar to wwe where it's you know lived off pay-per-view but it's also got its ufc fight pass from a ott direct to consumer perspective and now it's almost got this relationship with espn so maybe just similar to the way steve broke it down give us a little bit of kind of your helicopter views you put it on sort of ufc's current media strategy well, I think in, in some instances, one thing that stands out in terms of the similarities, I suppose, is to create is that UFC have done a great job, unlike, say, boxing, where it's purely built around the matchup, is they've created spectacles. They create events where it's a UFC's running an event in town. I'm going to go because the UFC is in town. And the same would be with WWE. But they're going to have an event on, I'm going to go or I'm going to watch it and subscribe to watch on their Friday night shows, etc. And so that's something that I think that there are great similarities about that investment of positioning uh, around the live event spectacle that um, other sports probably don't have the same um, other properties, sports and entertainment properties. I should make sure I don't... Uh, necessarily call it a sports property for uh, one of confusion um, that they've been able to do really, really successfully. Now, UFC have followed in many ways a very similar model to other spot fight sports, a heavy focus on pay-per-view uh, and done that very successfully uh, from a media strategy perspective. Their UFC Fight Pass product is really robust. Uh, what I think is quite impressive about that is they also have a whole host of other uh, fight sports properties on the platform and trying to in, in many ways you know the, we, we're talking more and more about this push from other platforms to have become sorry other streaming platforms to become a centralized platform for other partners and uh, amazon and DAZN we've just talked about uh, before uh well usc actually were doing that a little while ago already with other lower tier fight sports properties uh ones that you might have thought maybe might want to be competing with them actually they've just given up because the audience scale was there and perhaps the minimum guarantees on offer were, were too good to pass up um, but so they created this sort of ecosystem of fight sports that's that's done quite well the platform is quite robust it's a subscription their product with pay-per-view on top of it hugely robust library on on that and they've also done pretty extensive deals with broadcasters in a whole host of different markets the biggest in i think is the espn deal obviously again us is always the biggest deal but the deal over there is is super comprehensive and it might be that actually their their five pass products pretty limited in the us i don't know steve if you can have anything on any insight on that i think espn's got a good chunk of those rights including a lot of pay-per-view in there I think there's quite a lot on ESPN Plus. Um, so we saw, I guess, in, in oh, a, similar, sorry, yeah. a similar fashion to what WWE's done with Peacock and what NHL has done with ESPN Plus. They've sort of rolled it into that. So it's, it's again, it's more of a deeper integration than what DAZN and NFL um, are doing, as we discussed earlier. The other thing I think I'd add on that is the Fight Pass product 
um, has a quite a, a diverse library of content. So there's a non-live, there's documentary content, et cetera, et cetera. WWE's content, as far as I'm aware, is, is serve in a pretty traditional format through Peacock's channels in particular in that relationship. The WWE network outside the US might be more robust. I've not looked at it. I think I've said robust way too many times, by the way, but might be more um, extensive than what is on offer in the, in the US under the Peacock brand. And that's quite often the one of the implications of when you partner with a broadcaster is that sort of non-live content or that, that shoulder content you might have been producing to try and keep engagement on your platform gets lost because it's non-essential in some of those those um, platforms and their strategies, which might mean that might pop up in other places, either on their own websites or indeed on YouTube or, or alike. So now we've kind of got that laid out there, we're basically talking about two combat sports. I mean, we'll call WWE combat sports, Steve. But, you know, in terms of, you know, they seem to be doing very successfully in terms of their 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 media strategies. They're, they've got a diverse range of ways to monetize. They're doing things D to C. They're doing things with broadcast partners. That leads us, I suppose, to the, the, the main question of this is, why now? Why this merger? Is it as simple as they're, they're two sports that feel like they have crossover audiences and they have similar strategies? Is there something more to it? You know, why why did this come together? And I, you know, I can see you, Steve, chomping at the bit, so I'll, I'll let you go first. Well, I think it's a perfect storm of many things. I think when, you know, in maybe 10 years ago, both UFC and WWE were keen to distance themselves from one another. Um, UFC didn't want to be seen in, through the same way as WWE, which was, again, it, it is sports entertainment. And I think WWE saw UFC as a threat to its its business because it was a period when boxing wasn't quite as um, healthy as it is now, a bit of a lull. And so, the w, you know, UFC was looking to fill, fill that gap and perhaps take some of, you know, tread on WWE's territory. Now, fast forward um, to you know 2023 you've got you know uh, ufc is now in the hands of of endeavor i know some of the old management are still are, are still in place but it's it's now been able to build that business for for seven years um there's there's also much more overlap between the two fan bases i think there is you know the vendor by excuse me the venn diagram is going to be quite i don't know how to describe a close venn diagram narrow um but there, there is there is you know significant overlap um there's someone you know you've, you've got brock lesnar who was who's, you know been the main well uh, mainstay of wwe for the last decade before that he left wwe and became wfc uh, sorry uf wfc what a brand new championship that is <laughs> ufc world heavyweight champion champion um we've seen other other athletes move between the two properties more successfully from ufc to wwe i might add uh, ronda rousey's uh, come over we've seen um other other others make make appearances and um matt riddle for for example so there's just a bit, bit bit more unity on, on that on that front and i think endeavor's seen what's what's done with ufc cr- uh, created that that media ecosystem that nick just just described and created that value and it's seen we do similar things um independently and thought hmm, maybe maybe there's an opportunity there now we can't really discuss this without talking you know, quite carefully about what's happened to you behind the scenes from a legal legal standpoint. You know, there's there's there's, there's certain certain allegations and, and cases going on there. But WWE was ready to sell, and when that so it was, it, so Endeavor thought, well, this is the time. This is what this is what we do um, for the you know the 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 money they pay. They, they still think there's growth there, and perhaps they think there's more opportunities 
um, with a combined UFC and WWE, not just in terms of unifying certain certain broadcast deals. I've noted they, they're not interested in unifying these broadcast deals, but they have talked about unifying streaming deals, for example. But then you also think about the wider Endeavor group. You think about the ability for them to market those athletes more effectively, You know, build it into, into, into something bigger. And then there's other sort of natural things already, like um, WWE Network was originally built with um, with Bamtech. It's now an Endeavor, and you know it's it's an, an Endeavor client. So there's just a lot of overlap, and I think Endeavor just sees a just sees a significant uplift, especially given the current media market where people want live events. They don't really mind that it's sports entertainment, not sport. There's talk of even ESPN getting involved with WWE if it, if, it, if it wanted to, which I cannot imagine that happening 15 years ago. Um, you know, Burke Magnus, who's, who's uh, quite high up at ESPN, saying, we've got over that years ago. We don't mind. You know, WWE is of interest to ESPN. So it's just developments in the combat sports space. It's Endeavor's involvement with UFC and it's wider media changes. I think it's just created this these perfect conditions for these two properties to, to come together and perhaps become something more. Um, Steve, one of the things I, I noticed in the the latest WWE media rights deals that um, you've sort of touched upon, they have Friday night fights or raw, whatever whatever they've got going. They've got a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Can you just explain a little bit about the scale of those different buckets? So we obviously we've covered the Peacock deal a number of times on the pod, which is about roughly a billion dollars over five years, I think was the number uh, that was touted. Um, but talk about like, some of the other deals and just I think that they quite blew me away the scale of some of those deals um because i always thought that that was all wrapped into that um, major deal initially no so as I, as I mentioned before there's there's two flagship weekly shows there's monday night raw friday night smackdown now the deals for those are comparable to that peacock deal fox deal for, i think was for five years worth about what, between one one two uh 1.2 billion dollars off the top top of my head I mean that's hugely significant, and uh, NBC have decided, or rather Comcast, have actually decided to increase that, and um, I think they're paying one point four billion for the next contract, which I, do, I believe starts in twenty twenty four. So these are huge TV deals, and that basically reflects that loyalty of that fan base. These fans are going to tune no matter what, and you're not going to lose that audience. So let's say. Oh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head here, but one of the things the Premier League, when it was negotiating its deal with NBC, there were lots of lots of people interested in, in 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 those rights. But the Premier League also valued the fact that they had been on NBC for a while on Peacock, and they were concerned that some audience might be lost in that in that migration. That's not going to happen with wrestling fans. They are very, they're they're going to they're going to move channel even week from week to week. Fox hasn't been worried about shifting. Um, SmackDown from uh, Fox to FS1 when it's got baseball on, on, on what have you. So these are really attractive rights, especially when you're looking at you know the NFL being sewn up for I think 20, 2032 now. Basketball's going to command a significant premium when the NBA comes up. So these we're looking at you know billion plus deals for two TV shows. So it's it's you know it, it's it, it's it's these are very significant TV deals. You might mock um, sports sports entertainment, but the broadcasters are treating them like sports. Well, Steve, I would just say, I'll just push that back on our editorial director, who I believe has a new job title now, so I don't even think I'm calling him by the right name, so he might get, get mad at me. Um, He's still got the same job Is it? Title. Okay. I know we've shifted some job titles in the editorial team. <laughs> wouldn't want to... Wouldn't want to impact this is news anymore. to me. News to me. News <laughs> to me as well. <laughs> but but anyways, you already know me, Steve. I had Misfits Boxing in our fantasy draft. You know I'm all about you know sports entertainment. I'm just giving Mike a hard time because I was going through our business directory on SP Plus, which if you are not already a member of, you should be if you're listening to this podcast. 
Um, I was looking for the WWE. Um, and according to Mike, they were starting with real sports properties before moving on to the WWE. But I, I, I knew you would get him going for the second one, Steve. I knew you wouldn't allow that to stand. It's fine. M- Mike lets me know on a, a very frequent basis about where professional wrestling stands in the sports pro hierarchy. <laughs> Fair. Well, you know, so in terms of some of the factors there, Nick, unless you've got something else that you want to add to that, I think Steve's probably been fairly comprehensive there that perhaps maybe we sort of look at, you know, we've talked about they, they're pretty successful in what they've done to this stage, but there are those rights deals do seem to be coming to their their ends relatively soon. I think uh, some of those deals are ending in 2024 and some of them are ending in 2025. So if there's anything else you want to add sort of on what Steve said, Nick, you know, perhaps we can sort of look at how this merger maybe impacts the future strategies for them given some of the expiration of these deals? Yes. I mean, the only thing that really stands out for me um, is when you're looking at the relationship as it comes to joining up with the UFC and indeed joining up with Endeavor is what are they going to be bringing to the table and what is the opportunity? Where's the growth going to come from? Like These deals are locked down now for an, uh, quite a long time. WWE may have had its hand a little bit forced to to make this sale happen, but it's, it's it seems like as, as, as exciting a fit uh, as you could think about. Obviously, there's a lot of globalization opportunities still to ha- take place here. Um, you know, There's deals in place all across the world for WWE access. You know, in Australia, you have the, the exclusive deal with Foxtel or, and KO on all their pay-per-view fights. Uh, in the UK with BT, Brazil UFC fight pass is available there as well. So there's a lot going on in those markets. Is how, how much can they continue to grow that pie, not just through the media lens, but indeed all those different core pillars um, of fandom and indeed commercialization. If anyone could find out where those opportunities are and where to expand them, it's going to be someone like like Endeavor to bring that to life. And they're obviously, uh, Endeavor such a, a strong brand when it comes to two things. Well, firstly, the streaming bit. Endeavor Streaming is uh, you know, someone that um, Steve mentioned briefly, works for a whole host of partners across the industry, uh, of a best in class in that space. So they want to lean in, down the line into creating a new home for, for fight sports uh, product. They can do that and it will probably be a major success. But the other thing here is the, the relationship with athletes and talent. And obviously, WWE has been built on that. You think right now the 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 role that Logan Paul's been playing in, I guess, engaging younger audiences and expanding that engagement with younger audience bases in the US, they they're going to have access to new uh, and exciting people like that. They're going to continue to grow the fandom and breadth of people who are interested in WWE. And as long as they keep doing leaning into their what they do well or what they do best. Then, quite frankly, I think they're they're onto a a pretty big home run there with all those parties coming together. And quite frankly, imagine a board meeting between Ari Emanuel, uh, Dana White, and Vince McMahon. My gosh, that would be frightening. That would be that would be uh, appointment viewing. That's for sure. You can always you can always hope. You know, there'll be some good out credits and things like that. But you know, in terms of just like I said, the, those new cycles, do you think that, you know, Steve, you touched on it a little bit in talking about sort of the merger, the potential OTT strategies where you said they're still going to look to negotiate those linear broadcast deals separately, not looking at them as a, as a package, but potentially doing something with the, the OTT side together. So maybe looking, like I said, uh, crystal ball gazing into the future, sort of how you potentially could see that, um, whether that's a positive, whether there's some challenges to that just kind of how you see those future um, media strategies changing based on this acquisition or this merger of the two businesses yeah i think you separate 
the US from everything else. And I think it definitely makes sense for UFC and WWE to pursue different, um, let me call them linear strategies, but I might just admit, you know, regardless of the fact if some of the channels are streamed or not, because I think UFC likes people on ESPN, that gives it legitimacy. Um, and it's a good home. It's a good home for what it's do- doing. And then again, with with WWE being viewed on, you know, as more of a sports entertainment, it makes sense for it to be be where it is. Now, if you're looking at it from a streaming point of view, especially with the two direct consumer platforms, you can, if not bundle them together into a single platform, you can create a bundle at least in terms of proposition, and you know, try and leverage on that that narrow Venn diagram I just I described earlier. Still need to look at what that means, and try and increase average revenue per user if you're looking at wholesale deals abroad that could be a way to to make make the sums work i mean for example in the uk both wb and ufc have tnt sports as their as their partner um perhaps you can you know you can look to bundle those rights and maybe even beyond that you know these are big event companies both have been really successful at um i guess unifying what could be a fragmented landscape and they could hold you know not necessarily joint events but you know they can they can they can combine those into it and you know if it's a venue or what have you and then do as what nick has said about building up the athletes we has uh, been reasonably active in in um nil so name name image and likeness particularly for college wrestlers or it's or, or signing them so uh, gabe stevenson who was gold medalist in tokyo is now part of we hasn't really done much since but he's, he's part of their training program so there's ways it can work together and then ways i think it will keep things separate but there's no there's no time that there was you know significant opportunity to to combine the two um i think the opportunity might be greater outside the us and i think it definitely would be bigger in streaming just because of the differences in the two markets the us is always you know very different in terms of how how, how it operates and, and and steve you made the point earlier about the the growth of like the live event space generally it continues to grow from strength to strength and that's img's backbone as well so i think that they'll just continue to lean into live events and and expanding those opportunities out of the markets and also just they're, they're a really great licensing organization right so the use of the ufc and wwe brand they'll find other ways to bring that to life to generate more revenue and more opportunity from a business perspective i'm not saying they're going to launch a whole bunch of nfts uh, anytime soon and uh, expect that to be the the new uh home run swing but they will find ways to bring that brand uh value to, to life it will come as no shock to you that we has already launched nfts um yes i i did i did expect that did you buy one though steve <laughs> i don't know any any nfts yet i've been offered them by the the clubs i support and i still haven't uh taken them up on the offer oh I'll get you on to SoRare soon, Steve. Don't you worry. <laughs> so, Steve, because I do have you and because you are a technology editor, we do have to talk a little bit about tech. And, you know, we, we've mentioned there's already some commonalities between the two, but both of these organizations have been, I guess you could say, at the forefront from an innovation perspective, not only with what they do um, from a streaming perspective, but even just their production and some of the companies that they work with, you know, really maximizing it. And, you know, Nick has talked quite a bit about sports need to look at themselves as content businesses. There's probably not two better um, examples of people that are really kind of pushing that to the limits and making as much great content as they can, as many different ways as possible. Maybe just talk a little bit sort of with this merger, how that complements itself in terms of the technology they're using and where you might potentially see some more collaboration with what they're doing from a technology and innovation perspective. Sure. Now, I don't think there's been many organizations that have managed to use social media best in WWE, at least, you know, in the early parts of the 2010s. It was ahead of pretty much everything. 
um maybe not um maybe not quibi um you know google that if you if you don't remember that um <laughs> so again it's all part of that really engaged fan base it's been trying to reach them through as many channels as possible build out that that content ecosystem and i mean you have seen that i mean it seems ridiculous now given where it is in the sporting ecosystem but it was a challenger at one point you know it was um fighting for legitimacy fighting for space on on tv and then in the sporting sporting consciousness so it's also had to find different ways to to reach its audience now Endeavor streaming, which we touched upon before, you know, it serves quite a few major rights holders. You know, creating those D2C platforms, uh, it, it's investing heavily in things like. Um, I mean, basically, one of the trends we've seen is, is, is sports streaming services trying to become platforms. Right, it's what the Zone's doing. They are creating platforms in which video is just one service among many. Now, Endeavor's working on things like e-commerce. It's working work on ticketing. It's working on advertising, and I think we, you know. WWE being able to, have, you know, again, it's, it's, an, it's an Endeavor customer already, but being closer to to the, those conversations, we could see some really interesting things. And, you know, WWE fans, you know, they, they're, they're willing to spend money on, you know, they're willing to spend $50 for pay-per-view for many years. I don't know if you ever, I do not own one. I want that for the record. But you should see how much these replica championship belts cost and how people collect them. You know, these are people willing to spend money on, on, on merchandise. They're willing to go to, you know, live events. So I, I went to money in the bank at the o2 this uh th- this past summer and the the fight to get tickets was real um i'm never going to reveal how much i spent for mine but it was a, a wonderful evening and there's definitely more ways that this fan base can can be monetized i think technology is going to be a really important way of, of, of doing that and if you have access to a wider group you're there's going to be more opportunities ufc in particular it's been it's, it's really been looking at like immersive experiences so uh it's been one of the use ca- uh, sorry one of the most prominent use cases for unity and its metaverse um vision um combat sports being you know in a relatively fixed area means it, it lends itself um well to these these new kinds of experiences um i mean you know wb pioneered the uh the, the the thunderdome concept um during lockdown ufc's been working on creating these i don't describe them because the, the, the analogy i've got is very uk specific but basically secret cinema where you go and watch a film and it's almost like you know you go to watch back to the future and there's just there's lots of interactive things that make you feel like you're in the film that's what ufc has been trying to do um for some of its events so there's lots of ways they're working together from the streaming point of view lots of things they're working together on the fan engagement point of view or, or projects they're working on i think we could see these sort of come together whether it's a combined platform or in 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 other ways there's it's going to be an interesting area and maybe that's one of the places that endeavor sees growth in this union i would imagine going to a secret cinema experience and getting suplexed while you're sitting in the crowd that would be quite <laughs> i'd a... pay good money nick <laughs> <laughs> um so, so steve when, when you've been to those live event the the live event for example just what sort of crowd numbers are we talking what was that which venue was at wembley arena wasn't it it was uh, the o2 um the o2 right yeah so i mean it was it was capacity um, I cannot remember the top of my head what the O2 is, which is great research. Um, but it was one of the, I think it was the, the highest grossing event in, I can't remember what category, so it's done really well. But then in the last September, um, it was about fifty or 60,000 at the um, Millennium Stadium in Cardiff for another event, which wasn't even a major uh, a major event. Money in the Bank is one of the biggest events on the calendar. This was a special event created just for Cardiff. And it was the first, I think it was the first major live event in the uk for goodness me, about two decades so 
there there is upside there that it, it attracts huge crowds. There was the there was SummerSlam at Ford Field this summer at sixty thousand. WrestleMania fills out NFL stadiums now two nights in a row. These are these are these are huge events. I'm, so I'm curious to go a bit further with this. So um, hmm. for those those regular events and those those that's called the the circus in in the nicest hmm. possible way, right? Um, are they are they all the same personalities competing? in those or does it change up event to event do you know who's going into those at all and when you see a thing like i don't know logan paul popping up and ksi popping up in a in an event are they just for the real big shows or is that sort of stuff happening free frequently through the, the calendar most of the talent will appear throughout the year there are exceptions and the events they do have i'm going to call them um placeholder cards um, so you have an idea of who might be there. Someone like Logan Paul is not going to be there every week. Um, in, in the lead up to major events, he'll make several appearances, and they, these are usually advertised, um, you know, as soon as they can without ruining that, the actual programming. Athletes like that Brock Lesnar, you know, he's got essentially a part time contract where he again he works several major events a year and has to build up to those events, but he'll go off and do other things for the for the for the rest of the year. And then other 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 wrestlers will make. You know, they might have, I guess, stretches and then, you know, come back and then what have you. But in theory, you have one roster related to, to Raw, one roster, roster related to SmackDown, and they will do, at the very least, the TV shows, and most of them will do the live events business, which is one thing we've not talked about too much. There's, there's basically a wrestling event every night of the year, and it's, most of them are not on TV, and they're in much smaller, um, smaller arenas. Um, uh, these are called dark matches and house shows and, and things. They have no relation to what's happening on TV, except for the for the for the build up. So uh, these are you know the big TV shows. They're also big touring companies. Absolutely. So I've got one question for you, Steve. Before I know we're about to to wrap up, but okay. So they've TKO, TKO is now created. You're, you're sitting in the boardroom with Ari, Dana, and Vince, and you're going, okay, where's the next? I'm just picturing that now. Actually, be quite entertaining uh, setup. Um, and they go, "All right, where's the next big idea? Where's the big opportunity to bring our three collective businesses get the most value out of this? Is there anything that comes to mind? You think, God, that could be a home run if they make that move? I know we've talked about some incremental stuff already about how they can optimize and get efficiencies from the business and perhaps enhance their events business and and all that. But is there anything that comes to mind? Is like that's a home run if they try something. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there's a really uh, exciting answer to that beyond the really boring sort of uh, corporate synergies we've been discussing for the last forty-five minutes. Synergies and efficiencies, I think uh, they like to call uh, well, it. We yeah. were, the reason I chose those words was because we were all in the boardroom with all those those those, uh, those three men. I, I think we're going to see more innovative digital products. I think we're going to see, um, yeah, great more crossover in terms of in terms of in terms of talent. I, you know, you never know. We could see more of the. May perhaps misfit elements applied to to MMA. You know, you know, perhaps creating storylines on that front. With how that will go down with the core MMA audience, I don't, I don't really know. Um, I think we're going to see globalization. Definitely, the WWE, despite the world being in its in its name, is is still predominantly a North American centric organization. From how it's, you know, from its, its talent to you know storylines, how it's how it's produced. Um, I think we're going to see more events in Europe. I think uh, it's, it's it's got a big deal with with um, Saudi Arabia, and that that will continue. But it's also doing events in Australia. I think it's going back to Perth. I think either later this year, or early next year. Cannot remember. So it's going to it's going to be more, more global. Yeah, I think we're just going to see more of those 
those um, interactions between these organizations. I know it's not the most ex- exciting answer, but I, I, you know, we're looking at why these two have come together and, and, and where the growth is. I mean, I'll be honest, I asked you because I have no idea. Uh, so <laughs> rather than come out with my own suggestion. Um, but I do wonder if they would ever consider, we've talked about it from a media perspective, but I wonder if they would ever consider combining it for one for the the live event so you you watch i don't know how practically that would be achievable because obviously there's an octagon involved in one but the thought of in one night you get to watch a ufc uh card and then also some ww activity mixed together i don't i could see what reasons why they wouldn't happen personality wise as well as anything um but there's a lot of crossovers in audience who knows? Maybe that's a nice thing to trial at some stage, particularly in somewhere like Saudi Arabia, where they'll pay you enough money to do it. I think we'll see more crossover in in in, in talent. We've already seen um, uh, well, Ty- Tyson Fury. I know he's a boxer, has been in WWE. Um, Cain Velasquez, uh, who defeated you know defeated Brock Lesnar in the in the octagon, um, went over briefly for WWE for a couple of fights. Obviously, you know, mentioned Ron- Ronda Rousey. Who knows? Perhaps we can see an event. You know, we could see a, a warm-up event in the octagon featuring WWE wrestlers, and then we'll see how the UFC crowd <laughs> re- reacts to that. Because again, although there is there is crossover in in, in the fan bases, I, I think I think the fans will be less interested in anything that takes away that legitimacy that they've built over the last fifteen years. Yeah, that's fair. Well, Steve, I appreciate you joining us. Although I will say I'm going to call BS on the fact of you saying you do not own a replica WWE belt. You might not have one of the expensive ones, but I find it almost impossible to believe that you have a full Sheamus outfit and committed to the facial hair and don't have a belt. I know, I know this is an audio medium, but for the purpose of the tape, I am lifting up a Money in the Bank uh, briefcase, which um, is where I where I store my podcast equipment. Uh, so it's uh, it's ornamental and functional. Oh, there's some sort of joke in there about podcasts and delivering absolute money on 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 the airwaves, but yeah. I'll uh, I'll let it, I'll let that go. <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate you joining us, Steve, and that was a great conversation. Hopefully, you all now feel far more comfortable about what this merger means. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the Sports Pro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast.